possibly resolutions. Some of you are resolution makers, some of you are not. Some of you maybe are still searching for what the Lord might have you seek out as a resolution for the new year. I have one to give you this morning as a suggestion. It may not be the Lord's will for you to adopt this specific one, although I think you'll see that it is the Lord's will for all of us to be engaged in keeping on. I'm inspired to come to this title, Keep On, uh, from the September 2012 issue of Table Talk. Let me uh, do a sidebar here. If you're looking for a companion to your scripture reading and you're looking for some kind of a a daily devotional, I highly recommend Table Talk to you. I'm sure if you just Google it, you will find it. It's uh, put out in Lake Mary by Ligonier Ministries, which is uh, the ministry of R.C. Sproul. And I find it to have a lot of meat to it and yet uh, very applicable uh, to the places where we all uh, live, work, and play. So in this... uh, issue, a man by the name I thought I was on. I'm sorry. Am I on now? Okay. I got the signal back there. Um, A man by the name of uh, Eric Alexander, a pastor uh, at St. George's uh, in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, uh, a a wonderful Bible scholar, Bible teacher. Uh, He was 80 years old in 2012 when he wrote this article, but the article is about a time Uh, where he recalls having heard Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones speak. He was the pastor for 25 years in uh, the middle part of the last century uh, at at, uh, Westminster uh, Chapel in London. And after he spoke, um, Eric Alexander, who was then a seminary student, uh, had the privilege of standing nearby, and he heard as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would uh, greet people who were coming out of the church, And at the end of not just one or two, not most, but at the end of every single conversation, he said to the people, keep on. And that sort of noted uh, right there in Eric Alexander's mind. And so as good providence would have it, Eric had the privilege of riding uh, in a cab uh, to their uh, destination from there uh, with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And so he screwed up his courage to ask the question of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. You know, I happen to see that every time you spoke to a person, at the end of the conversation, you ended it with keep on, as though that were important to you. And he said, well, my dear man, uh, it's the most important thing that there is. Christianity is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And then he ended by saying that that's why Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be saved. And so this article was entitled, Keep On, and Eric Alexander used the text that we have before us today in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Now the first thing I want to do is to look at just a part of verse 12, because it's very controversial. And then we'll look at the whole of it once we've looked at the part of it. But the part we want to look at this morning first is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And first of all, I want to observe that there's been a way that this has been interpreted uh, that is incorrect, biblically speaking. It's been interpreted by people who play fast and loose with Scripture or who disregard Scripture altogether Those who say this, and perhaps there may be somebody in God's providence here today who feels or believes this way themselves right now. 
That is, you earn your own salvation. You have to work and earn it. Uh, You have to work to deserve it. You have to work to merit God giving you salvation. And then there's a second part of that belief system that says, once you've earned it, once you've merited it or deserved it from God by your works, uh, then you have to keep on working very hard in order to keep it, or else you might lose it. Now, the scripture is very clear on both points. First of all, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I just want you to think for a moment about the untenable position uh, that people have that believe that they have to earn their salvation. And if you're one of those here today, you understand how untenable that is. How many things do you have to do in order to earn it? How big a things must they be? How often things must they be in order to earn your salvation? And there are no good answers to those questions except what resides within you and your own rationalization as to what those answers might be. And then there's the second part of that. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that none of those that the Father has given to me will be snatched out of my hands. Jesus has never fumbled. He's never had a turnover. And those who think that you can lose your salvation think of how untenable and how difficult that must be for them. Uh, If I take a day off, do I lose it? A week, a month, or is it a particular sin that I would commit that would cause me to lose it? And if I lose it, can I regain it again? And again, these questions go on and on and on, and they just have no answers except what's within you in terms of the way you rationalize those answers to be. And I found that in most of the people who believe you can earn your salvation and lose your salvation, that they have adapted answers for themselves that are satisfactory, that I'm doing enough to earn it, and I'm doing enough to retain it, and I won't be losing it. Now, the scripture has a, a, a very specific sense in which it says, work out your own salvation, wherein we're talking here uh, about the process of sanctification. Let me give you three things. First of all, God justifies us, and the way I remember the word justified is just as if I had never sinned. He, in a one-time act, he treats me just as if I had never sinned. That's an act of God, solely of God, in which he does in us who believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And then there is the sanctification, and that begins after justification. And it's an ongoing process of growing to become more Christ-like, growing in our faith, growing spiritually. And it's in that act of, in that process of sanctification, in which we do bear responsibility, human responsibility, to work with the Holy Spirit that God has caused to dwell within us so that we might work out what God has worked in. And so we have a discipline and a responsibility in this process of sanctification. Now, it's not dependent wholly on us once we are sanctified to maintain our salvation because God is at work in us to see that that stays firm and that we can't lose it. But we still have a responsibility to act actively with God to produce the kind of life in living out the gospel of Jesus Christ that's pleasing to God. 
And then there's glorification, which is the final act of God in which he acts alone to bring us to himself. So what's in focus here in this passage in working out your own salvation with fear and trembling is the whole business of sanctification. And that is why I suggest that would be a good resolution for us to keep on in this coming year in growing to become more Christ-like and growing spiritually. Now let's look at the whole of this verse with that uh, as a part of the setting. And it says, therefore, and as I mentioned the last time I was here, anytime you see the word therefore, you ought to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And therefore is there because of 2, 1 through 11 and what is said in there, particularly in 5 through 11. And it's in this passage where uh, the Lord is talking uh, about to us uh, having the same mind that he has. And it talks about this wonderful, we believe, a hymn that was sung by the early Christian church, this passage that precedes what we read this morning, wherein Christ humbles himself, he he is God, and he doesn't consider being God something to be grasped or held on to, and so he empties himself, and he becomes humbly obedient even unto death, and he takes on the form of a servant, and he becomes a man. And so that's what this passage is dealing with previously. And so that's what the therefore refers to. My beloved, and it's wonderful to know that every one of us are loved by God, and especially those of us who are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ by him. And when we hear a commandment that comes from the scriptures or a pastor or wherever it comes from, it shouldn't be burdensome to us. That's what... uh, 1 John 5.3 says it should be a joy to hear the commands of God and to act upon them as we are his beloved, as you have always obeyed. And so the Philippian church has a, a good sense of, of having obeyed, and uh, they have always obeyed. So now not only as in my presence, and it's uh, rather easy, isn't it, to uh, obey in the presence of our mentor, of our pastor, of our parents, of our teacher, of our boss, or whoever it is. Uh, Not always do we do that, but it's a lot easier than in his or her absence. And as the old saying goes, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And Paul says, I'm not always with you. And, And he is imprisoned at this time that he's writing. Your pastor wasn't always with you when Mike Malone was here and others, and your new pastor that is uh, coming in God's own timing. I'm sure some of you are getting a little uh, anxious and and antsy, wondering when God's going to do that. Uh, We'll make another comment about that here in just a moment. As a matter of fact, there's uh, another uh, way of viewing this passage that I don't uh, personally uh, adhere to, but it's an interesting one, and that is that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, saying you collectively in your corporate salvation are to work out your own uh, salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, That's not an unscriptural idea, but I don't think that's what Paul is dealing with here in this passage. But uh, keep in mind that you have a corporate responsibility to work out your own salvation as a congregation. You have that responsibility as well. And so he says, uh, and, and much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The fear and trembling, I think, is a reference to the humility in verses 3 and 8 of the previous passage, wherein Christ humbled himself, became a servant, and he uh, was willingly obedient uh, to go to die on the cross. 
And that obedience that uh, is in uh, the instruction of Paul to the Philippian church, as you've always obeyed, continue to do so, Christ obeyed, so should we. Uh, Christ was humble, so should we be humble. And there's no better way to work out our salvation than to do it humbly, not pridefully. And so we're to work out what God put in us, and that is what is being suggested here uh, in the strongest possible way by Paul, uh, and to do it humbly. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that comforting? To know that God, this uh, is in the Greek tense uh, known as the present continuing tense. And tenses are very important in the Greek. Uh, You may not think so, but uh, the, the importance of this is that at this very moment, God is at work in you and he's at work in me. Some of you may question whether he's at work in me with my preaching, but uh, he's there. And, and he was the last minute, and he'll be the next minute. And he was yesterday, he is today, and he will be tomorrow. He was in 2015, and he will be in 2016. God never stops working in us. And that's a joy to know that as the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that we have a cooperative work with him that's dependent upon him, but in which we have responsibility to work out in our own lives and living out the gospel. You're writing a gospel every day by the things you do and the things you say. People read what you write, distorted or true. What's the gospel according to you? And so we're to be living out this gospel, but God's at work in us to will. Now, I can take that two ways. One, he has a will for us, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. Uh, He wants his will to become our own, But he has a will he wants to work out in us, and he's doing that in the present continually, revealing his will to us in various ways. We'll talk about that again in a minute. And then he has a work also that gives him good pleasure that we accomplish to work out in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And so if you have a question, God, I don't know what your will is about this matter, then ask him. What's your will? You're working in me. You're working in me presently. So reveal to me what your will is about this matter. Or you're saying, uh, I'm out of your will. And we all get to that place. And I want you to reveal your will to me and give me desire to do what your will is. And also, I don't know what your work for me is. What is your work for me, Lord? And he's presently working in you to show you what that is. And so He'll reveal that to you because it gives him pleasure when you're doing his will and you're doing his work. And it gives you pleasure when you find yourself in the center of God's will for your life, doing the work that he has for you to do. Now, let me go to another place where I received some, informa- some inspiration uh, by way of uh, giving some application to this and answering the question, uh, how or what are some of the touchstones that we ought to uh, look at some of the, the, the benchmarks that we ought to look at in keeping on in 2016. And you don't have to wait till 2016. You can start today if you want to. Um, I heard a, a graduation speech. It was given to the University of Texas graduating class of 2014. Uh, it was the best graduation speech I have ever heard. It was only 19 minutes long. It was given by a Navy SEAL, Admiral William H. McRaven, M-C, capital R-A-V-E-N. And I spell it for you because I, 
highly recommend that you go on YouTube and, and look this up too. Uh, it went viral if you haven't already seen it. And I thought it was outstanding. What he did is he talked to the people uh, that were graduating about ways that they could change the world. And he had 10 ways, 10 lessons that he gained from looking at the basic training of the Navy SEALs. Now, what I want to do is reduce those 10 down to maybe four or so, combined a few of them, and adapt them to our Christian message, which he did not do. Maybe he's capable of doing that, and I hope he's a believer, but uh, that wasn't uh, what uh, his assignment was that day, apparently. So the first thing that he says is, um, if you want to change the world, and I'm saying I'm going to adapt this to, if you want to uh, keep on, make your bed every day. That sounded like a strange beginning. He said the reason that he suggests that, because that's what the people at the uh, naval training did for the SEALs, uh, it, it's a small task, but it's something you do first in the day. Uh, there were certain requirements of how that bed ought to be made. But it's something simple and something that everybody uh, pretty much can do. And uh, they, those beds were always inspected. It gave them a certain amount of pride when their bed passed inspection. And his main point was, it's a little thing to do, but if you can't do the little things well, you probably aren't going to do the big things well either. And uh, furthermore, if your day is just a rotten mess, at least you go home to a nicely made bed. So as we apply that spiritually, uh, I think the important thing here is to have a quiet time. I don't think you can keep on in the way God wants you to keep on without having a quiet time every day. And I suggest you do it in the morning. That's not something you must do. Uh, And you can have quiet times throughout the day indeed. But I like to start my day with a quiet time with the Lord. It's a time, it's something that we all can do. Uh, It's something that seems little, but it's really big in the bigger picture of things. And it's a way that we develop our heart. And there's another illustration that he used as well. It was about the munchkins. Uh, They divided the Navy SEALs up into teams. And there was this one team that were just little guys. Uh, They had little hands and they were short and they had little feet And the main manifestation of their tininess was their flippers. Their flippers were much smaller than most of the big guys that were uh, in this Navy SEAL training deal. And the thing was interesting, as as they were called munchkins sort of playfully, but they were sort of made fun of because they were so tiny. Maybe some of you have been at the brunt of being tiny, I don't know. But as they swam into the ocean and against the currents, and did all the things they needed to do, they were the ones that almost every time won in the competition. And so McRaven came to the conclusion that it's not the size of your flippers, it's the size of your heart that helps you be a winner. And the size of your heart's going to help you keep on. And the way you encourage and cultivate that heart is by reading God's Word, meditating on God's Word, praying to the Lord, and seeing what his will is for you and what his work is for you. The scriptures tell us that it's out of the heart that man speaks. It's out of the heart that man acts. And if you have a good heart, you'll speak well. If you have a good heart, you will act well. And so you'll cultivate that heart through that uh, quiet time. And so that's the heart business. Next, let's uh, talk about the whole business of hope. At the end, they had what was called Hell Week. And they would go out to the mud flats that uh, exist between San Diego and Tijuana. 
and apparently it's a miserable existence. Uh, they go out there when the sun goes down and they stay till the sun comes up in the mud. And it's cold and it's absolutely miserable. If they thought that the training, basic training, had been miserable up to now, this was the end of all ends of being miserable. And so uh, they were out there and they were cold and shivering. Their teeth were chattering. And all of a sudden, one guy started to sing. There was one voice. He didn't say, McRaven didn't say what it was they sang. But one voice sang. And then suddenly there was another voice. And there was another. And then another. Until they all started singing. And even with the officers telling them not to sing, they disobeyed orders which isn't something they're taught to do. But interestingly, the officers didn't give them any repercussions of their disobeying that order because the officers saw in them a welling up. Instead of drowning, they had a welling up of hope. And suddenly, the cold and the chill and the five hours they had to wait until the sun came up didn't seem to make as much difference as it had before. So have a song in your heart that you're going to sing, a song of hope. Understand the hope that is within you is what's going to cause you to keep on. Nobody can take that hope away. Nobody can order you not to sing. And you can enjoy the hope that wells up within you instead of drowning in the sea. And then the last thing I'll mention to you is this whole business of when they went out in teams of seven, They had six paddlers in one of these rubber rafts that would go out against the ocean waves, against the current, and it was difficult to do. And they had one person, the seventh person on the team, that was the coxswain. And the coxswain is the one who hollered out the cadence to which they were to row in unison together. And those teams that listen to their coxswain give the order as to the cadence to row and rowed in cadence with the coxswain, and all rode in unison with one another, they succeeded each and every time they went out into the ocean against all the elements. And so there's a lesson to be learned in that too, McRaven said. You're not in this boat alone. You've had many things read to you this morning uh, by Glenn. You've got some women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies. You've got an opportunity to be in a membership, church membership group. There must be small groups in the church, formally or informally. You may have mentoring opportunities in or outside of the church. You're not in this thing alone. You're not to do it alone, number one, and you're not in this thing alone. And so get somebody to come alongside, in addition to the Holy Spirit, and that's his definition of one who comes alongside. The word for Holy Spirit is paraclete, not parakeet, but paraclete, One who comes alongside, and he's there alongside, he's dwelling within you, but it helps to have something with flesh on it, doesn't it? And and get somebody, it may be your spouse, it may not be your spouse, it may be your mom or dad, it may not be your mom or dad, it may be a teacher, it may be a coach, it may be somebody that you look up to spiritually in a church, it may be one of the elders, but get somebody that's in the boat with you and understand it's the Lord who's the coxswain, who's shouting out the cadence by which you're to row, and then get in tandem with him and start to row and realize that you need help. So cultivate your heart 
encourage hope within you and get the help you need to do this thing called working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. One other thing that McRaven said, and if you've seen any of the movies about Navy SEALs, you know that at the barracks, there's a bell. And any time during the six-month basic training, if you want out, throw in the towel, want to tap out, all you have to do is go ring the bell. Nobody's going to make fun of you. There's no shame to it. There's no dishonor to it, except what you may have within you in doing so. But there's no external shame placed on you. Just go ring the bell, and it's all over. You don't have to worry about being miserable and cold and wet and sandy and hear all the shouts of the officers telling you what to do all the time. Just go ring that bell, tap out, throw in the towel. But as McRaven says, and as I say to you, as Scripture says to me and to us all, don't ring the bell. Don't tap out. Don't throw in the towel. Why? Because of what the Lord says to us in the sixth verse of the first chapter of this book. For he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at that day of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Let's pray. Father, some of us are keeping on pretty well right now. Others of us, not so well. Sometimes it seems like a roller coaster. We fail a great deal. We all do. And so, Father, help us to continue to cultivate our hearts or some of us to begin to do that as we have not been doing that to our own benefit. Help us to discover what your will and your work is for our lives. And that which you've worked into us, help us to work that out through good hearts. Thank you, Father, that we would also not lose sight of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. A hope that can never be taken away from us. Our cars, our homes... Our possessions can be taken away from us, repossessed, but God will never allow our hope to be repossessed from us. And thank you, Father, that not only do we have the power of your Holy Spirit, which ought to be enough and is enough, but we like to have the help of some folks around us. Thank you for pastors and coaches and parents and teachers and brothers and sisters and elders and folks that are willing to come alongside and to help us realize that we're all in the same boat together and we need to pull together and listen to the cadence that the Lord has for us in his will and his work. And thank you, Father, that above all else that we would know as a church that God is at work within us, but more so in tune with this passage That as individuals, God is at work within us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Help us to discover good pleasure in doing your will and knowing your will and knowing your work and doing your work. For the honor and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Standing to sing hymn number 18.